This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. Foster kids often don't have anywhere to go when they turn 18. A new program in Philippi in Barber County is working to provide housing and work for some of them. Our blueprint plan calls for a village of 24 units, so it's about a $2.5 million development, and this grant will pay for the first five units to be built. That story and more coming up this West Virginia Morning. Support for West Virginia Morning is proudly provided by Luke Frazier. Legislators raised questions Sunday about how state and federal money has been spent for flood and disaster recovery efforts. Eric Douglas has more. Allegations of misappropriation of funds have recently surfaced online about how the relief organization, volunteer organizations active in disaster, have used grant money and donated items. During the Joint Committee on Flooding meeting during legislative interims, Finance Committee Chairman Eric Targ grilled VOAD Executive Director Jenny Ganaway about how money was spent. At the end of the meeting, Targ said he was not satisfied with Ganaway's answers and asked for the matter to be referred for further investigation. I think this matter should be referred to the Committee on Investigations, and probably the board as a whole also should be referred to the state auditor um, and also to the legislative auditor. It was not immediately clear when those organizations would begin looking into the allegations. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Eric Douglas in Charleston. One county's success in addressing student behavioral issues at a young age may inform the state's approach to the broader issue of school discipline. Chris Schultz has more. Rather than send students with the most serious disciplinary issues to a virtual learning or traditional homebound program, Raleigh County has implemented an intensive academy that aims to address the issues that are the core cause of students' behaviors. Alan Sexton is the Director of Special Education for Raleigh County Schools. He told lawmakers at the interim meeting of the Joint Standing Committee on Education Sunday about the success the county has found with a new alternative education scheme. As the numbers show, we've had a very high success rate, only having one student ever pulled back from a school setting to uh, provide additional supports because the transition didn't go well. Senate President Craig Blair has indicated that addressing school discipline issues and classroom disruption will be a legislative priority in the upcoming regular session. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Chris Schultz in Morgantown. The Allegheny Front, based in Pittsburgh, is a public radio program that reports on environmental issues in the region. Here's their latest story about the new rules for lead water service lines. An update to a federal regulation could help reduce kids' exposure to lead. This is the Allegheny Front Environment Updates. I'm Carol Holsoppel. According to the EPA and CDC, there is no safe lead level in children's blood. Even low levels of lead in kids' bodies can lead to behavioral and learning problems, lower IQ, and hyperactivity. Under the Biden administration's proposed changes to the lead and copper rule, every water system with lead service lines will have to create a plan to replace 10% of them each year for up to 10 years. I talked with David Mazur, executive director of Penn Environment, a nonprofit advocacy group, about how much this could reduce kids' exposure to lead. If this policy gets done, it'll be a huge victory, a home run for the Biden administration and for protecting kids. Lead in home drinking water is probably the number one source for the threat of lead in drinking water. 
And Pennsylvania has more lead service lines than almost any state in the nation. Does the money allocated in the bipartisan infrastructure law specifically to help water systems pay for this lead line replacement, $15 billion, does it come close to what it would cost? I mean, that's nationwide, let alone in Pennsylvania. Local water authorities probably will have to chip in. I mean, certainly it will depend a lot on how many service lines any given water authority or community has. But the price is fairly low to replace um, lead service lines. And I think my experience is Pennsylvanians and Americans would go, you know, this is a fairly small price to pay to protect our kids from something that we know causes learning disorders and all sorts of other health effects. And that has a rippling effect on our communities. I mean, when our kids are challenged in their learning, that they take with them through their life. It's harder to succeed in school. It's harder to get a good job. Um, These have long-term effects on our health, but also certainly on how our communities and economy work. There are studies showing lead contamination leads to increased crime rates. And so there's a litany of effects. So I tend to think people believe it's a small cost because generally people know the threat of lead and they want solutions implemented to tackle it. Do you think the rule change goes far enough in removing lead from drinking water? Would you like to see anything else? There's a couple of you know things that the Biden administration could propose before finalizing the rule that would make it go from an A to an A plus plus maybe. You know, so there are some protections you could put in place around trying to make sure that We're not replacing pipes made of metal with plastic, uh, PVC piping, and just increasing our societal addiction to dangerous plastics and, you know, all the things we're learning about how those are bad for health in sort of different ways than maybe lead. So that could be clarified in the final rule. There are some loopholes that allow a set of very large cities to potentially extend having to do this work for decades. That's probably a bridge too far. And the rule really doesn't include um, school buildings. So while it could help replace lead service lines that are going into schools, the reality is because there's so much potential lead in the pipes in the buildings themselves and the drinking fountain components, we've actually seen some school districts around the country where they've replaced their lead service lines, thinking they've solved the problem. They've gone back in and tested and still find elevated levels of lead. It didn't solve the problem. You have to you know, deal with all of that lead in the building. David Mazur is the executive director of Penn Environment. For more on EPA's proposed update to the lead rule and lead contamination in water, homes, and soil, head to AlleghenyFront.org. That's the Allegheny Front Environment Update. I'm Carol Holsapple. The Allegheny Front is based in Pittsburgh and reports on regional environmental news. Foster kids often don't have anywhere to go when they turn 18. A new program in Philippi and Barber County is working to help provide housing and work for some of them. Caroline McGregor reports. New Vision is a nonprofit Christian organization that provides job training for young adults and at-risk youth. A $750,000 grant in affordable housing program funding will support construction of the first five tiny houses for 12 at-risk youth aging out of foster care or who are in life transition. CEO and president of New Vision, Rustin Seaman, says the money will help fund basic infrastructure like plumbing and electricity as work begins to develop the village. 
Our blueprint plan calls for a village of 24 units. And so it's about a two and a half million dollar development. And this grant will pay for the first five units to be built and installed. And then one fifth of the infrastructure, the one fifth of the road, one fifth of the septic system, uh, one fifth of those elements. So it's a great gift. The goal is to turn the village into a thriving community. Siemens says the young men who live there will be gainfully employed at an on-site tiny house factory that will continue to produce tiny homes for this and future villages. When complete, the village will offer 24 units, 12 of which will be for adults, who include retired school teachers, veterans, widows or single people with strong life experience. Siemens says the adults will care for and mentor the youth. Everybody would live in the village. The 12 young people that are in job training and learning life skills would then have neighbors that become friends and they would have family. That's probably the number one thing about kids aging out of foster care is most of them have their family life almost totally disrupted. Some of them don't have anyone in their life right now called family. The proposed tiny house village is a sustainable effort, which Siemens says offers a high probability of positive outcomes for many people. The village will have two full-time employees, including a property manager and a relational coordinator. 23-year-old Anthony Hinkle has been in the foster care system twice. Both of his parents were drug users and both are now deceased. His memories are laced with trauma. The first time, it wasn't my choice. I was a kid, and I don't really remember too much about it. The second time, my mom met two people in the hospital she didn't know, and with the heart she had, she let them move in. Well, they ended up stealing my dad's drugs, like his medicine. It got to the point to where my dad threatened to take a Bowie knife and gut me like a fish, and uh, my mother, in pure panic, did not know what to do, and she gave up her parental rights to protect me and my brother. Early on, Anthony learned what it's like to have no one to turn to. When you're alone, you know, you don't have much of a support system. And you always, you crave other people. You know, you, we're made to be social. We're made to be getting out of our comfort zone and talking to others whether we want to or not, you know. We're supposed to be in this together. Society and everything else has changed everything to the point to where we're against each other. And it's me, 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 not we, we, we. Anthony briefly attended college with plans to become a caseworker. His plans were foiled, but he now has an opportunity beyond his expectations. With his life experience and empathy for others in a similar plight, his job will be to greet and brief the youth on expectations to give them a clear foundation as they learn new life skills alongside their new family. In order to give these kids a support system, they need someone that knows what it's like to go without. Someone to know what it's like that at the end of the day, you may feel alone, but you're not actually alone because you've got people that are encouraging you to go to work, encouraging you to be time efficient, preparing you for the real world. New Vision got its inspiration for the tiny homes from Eden Village, a national model that builds villages for chronically homeless people. The organization helped with New Vision's business plan, while Siemens' son, Rustin Ray, a recent WVU landscape architecture graduate, helped complete the design of the village. A heated warehouse will house early production of the tiny homes, while groundbreaking for the new Vision Village is expected to take place in the spring. The first five homes have to be done within one year period of time, but we believe probably by Earth Day we'll have our first kind of big celebration and 
by that time, we really hope to, you know, have the first unit, you know, on the ground and ready for uh, being reviewed. Siemens says fundraising efforts will continue over the summer while completing the design plans and building a manufacturing hub for the houses themselves. New Vision's job training program will be incorporated into the process. We'll have to hire a few more people for our staff to be able to build. We need an electrician. We need some people with skill to lead the jobs. Siemens said the ultimate goal is to develop a factory that can produce 70 tiny house units a year. West Virginia has the highest population of children that have been placed in foster care by percentage. We had received a one-year grant to do a, a report, a national report, on kind of the state of affairs for kids when they're aging out of foster care. And that led us to this whole initiative because so often young people on their 18th birthday then become homeless, 38%, which is a national tragedy, and 58% of the young men end up in trouble with the law in the first 18 months after aging out of foster care. New Vision is using those statistics to optimize opportunities for a better lifestyle for young men transitioning out of foster care. Most available funds for housing or job development are not in the same location. The design of New Vision Village will provide both a place to live and work in the same location while offering young adults a stable environment. We'll get some shovels out and we'll invite uh, the people from the bank and we'll invite some officials and we're hoping to do it. We're looking at Martin Luther King Day as possibly a date when we will at least officially launch the project. It'll go fairly slow while the weather is cold and the ground is messed up. But once the good weather of spring comes um, fairly soon on, the, the roads will start to develop and it'll be an exciting year for us. Seaman says talks are underway for future plans to build a village for young women in Morgantown. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Caroline McGregor. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from Shepherd University. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Bill Lynch, Brianna Heaney, Caroline McGregor, Chris Schultz, Curtis Tate, Emily Rice, Eric Douglas, Liz McCormick, and Randy Yowie. Eric Douglas is our news director and he produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning. <music>